What's up? Welcome back to Barton and Bud. I am Barton Simmons along with Bud Elliott. We are, we caught our breath a little bit. Uh, awesome weekend. Recap that Sunday night, Monday morning for you guys. I hope you, you, you checked it out. I hope you subscribed. Hope you gave it a five-star review. If you did, thank you. If you haven't, we'd appreciate it. Um, and, and now it's on to the next one. And Bud, this just happens to be another good weekend, especially in the SEC, uh, especially because we might have the two best teams in college football playing. Um, something we'll get to, but maybe maybe uh, maybe first we'll touch on a product release this week. Certainly, the two most talented teams in the country. That's what we call uh-huh. a segue there you go. in the yeah. business. There, uh, so the team talent composite came out. That is us. Uh, measuring your talent via your star rankings that are actually on your roster. It's a kind of one of our signature products at 24-7 Sports and something that I know we're going to be using a lot more in the future because uh, what, what's actually on your, your roster uh, matters a whole heck of a lot. And for the first time in quite a while here, man, Bama's not the most talented team in the country as far as when, when, when they face somebody else. And I, I know you're excited to talk about that and maybe some trends in that product too. Yeah, yeah. Um... You know, Alabama, so George is like quietly, it's a tough, it's a tough task when you inherit a program that's really talented to elevate them from, you know, fifth to 10th, sixth, seventh type of range, which is what Kirby Smart inherited and create a top three roster, top two roster, number one roster. That's a big leap. I know it sounds close, six to one, no big deal. This is not just like having a good year. This is consistent year over year, time after time, bringing in elite recruiting classes. And, and Kirby Smart's managed to do that. He got, he got, he's got Georgia at number one right now. Um, after the number one recruiting class in college football, two of the last three years. Um, and so that, that I think, is, is notable. Uh, this week, Georgia plays Alabama, the top two rosters in college football. But I actually wanted to sort of dig in, because we're going to get into all that matchup and and – that's really more talking point than anything else because none none of it really matters on the field. Um, They're two talented teams. We get it. I think the thing that kind of caught my eye is almost an indicator of teams to watch who are on the way up. Like we're used to a team being, you know, operating within this range of expectations based on the talent that they have. And they're either like hitting the ceiling, exceeding those expectations, sort of playing at the top end of those, of that, that range that your talent allows, or they're, they're, you know, undervaluing it, underplaying it. And so when you look at the teams that are now sort of elevating those expectations, elevating that range as they elevate the talent level, I think that's when you can start to pick out some teams that you can, Maybe trust a little bit more. Maybe take some shots on, gamble a little bit, have some belief in. Um, a couple of teams that are trending up. Uh, Oregon is trending up. Number 12th in the country. That's the highest ranking that it's had to this point. Um, they've got a bunch of five stars as true freshmen in this class. Uh, Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, Dante Manning, all five stars coming in there, true freshmen. All will probably play this year and probably play a lot, I would imagine. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau a year prior, five-star guy. Um, that's a team that, that really hasn't really operated much inside the top 25, like the top 20 
in, in recent years. Uh, and, and I think Mario Cristobal just absolutely has put his foot on the accelerator there. The other one's North Carolina. Um, let's see. 22nd in they, the nation. So they're 22nd and that's, that's a, that's a, clip above the 26, 29, sort of top 30 range that they had had been in previously. And it doesn't even factor in what is their best class yet under Mac Brown, which is coming in this fall. So I would expect them to be probably like a top, I don't know, top, top 17, top 16 type of roster next year. Um, and so, you know, think things are heading in the right direction there. Conversely, and this might be even more telling, um, is the, the teams that are trending down, uh, certainly UCLA, 31st in the country. It's hard to believe that UCLA was just, just what, five years ago, the first release of this, this team talent index, uh, they're 11th. Oh yeah. You know, just, just think about that. Like, like it's, you said it was the 11th most talented team in the country based on expectations from recruiting. And that seems like, like totally far-fetched at this stage. So Man, that's just a long fall. And then the oh, other yeah, one, dude. I, I've been tracking the UCLA thing because they they, they yeah. were also extremely high in the blue chip ratio. And I was like, oh, man, this makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm not really sure UCLA is that good, but I got to uh-huh. put them on here because that's what the numbers say. You know, like they. I, I feel like this can be a leading indicator with teams on the rise, but it's a bit of a lagging indicator. I feel like with teams on the decline. Yeah, that's a good point. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because USC for, for and Florida State, State are, are trending down. For sure, but they've been trending down on the field for for a couple of years. But it could be a leading indicator for for some risers like a like a Tennessee or a North Carolina, you know, or or an Oregon. So one that I think that 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 I wonder if it is a bit of a leading indicator for to use your term is is Michigan because the the drop hasn't been all that dramatic until this year. They've been hovering in the seven to nine range. And they've been sort of having the same level of success on the field with that talent. And now this is a weird year for the team talent composite. Cause we do have to factor in some of the opt outs, um, you know, guys like, you know, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Michigan's had a few opt outs. They, had, they had an offensive lineman opt out, I believe, right. One of their good tackles. Yeah. Jalen Mayfield though. He opted back in. I think he did. Okay. Um, I don't think Ambry Thomas has opted back in uh, one of their defensive backs. Uh, so maybe the opt outs isn't as big of a ding as I'm, as I'm thinking either way, they're down at 17th and for a roster that was 2017 and it was, was number seven in 2017, just a few years ago, to be down at 17, I, I just wonder if they've got the horses. I mean, they had, you know, even when they had the horses, they they didn't quite hit that, you know, we talk about that spectrum that they're at, that they're capable of operating in. They're very, very much in the middle to low end of that spectrum. Now, if they're working in the middle to low end of their spectrum and the spectrum is dropped, I just wonder, I wonder if that's could be a, a hint of what's to come and maybe a team to, to keep an eye on this year. Barton, what, what were they last year? I'm sorry. I, I they were uh, they were they were top ten last year. Uh, okay. I want to say like ninth or something. So I mean, honestly, like they they played to their talent level last year. In, if you look at a lot of the advanced metrics, I mean, they, they they had four losses on on the season, but you know, I mean, like they they, they lost by one score to, to Penn State. They lost to a very good Bama team and a, and a very good Ohio State team, and, and they lost at Wisconsin. They they finished tenth in SP plus. I, I think right around there in FPI. So like I I think they kind of played to their talent level, maybe not to the expectations of their fan base, which expects them to be like, they don't, 
celebrate, hey, we're the 10th best team in the country. I mean, this year they're 18th. I think it's reasonable Michigan could could play to a top 18 level this sure. year around there. Like they just, but they're not exceeding it. They're not up there competing with the, the team they really care about, Ohio State. Uh, you know, Penn State is now several talent points higher than Michigan as well, which I think is notable. This is probably the first time they've actually slipped behind Penn State, right? Was was Penn State ahead of them last year? I can't imagine. That no, no actually, 10. so so Penn State was ten last year. Okay, Michigan was eleven. Um, and actually, surprisingly, Penn State. We thought Penn State last year. We would have highlighted Penn State as a team on the rise. They they keep trending up, up, up. And this year, they actually they almost it seems like they've almost plateaued just a little bit in terms of of just the talent on the roster. They've James Franklin did a fantastic job of elevating that talent. And and now it seems like he's um, they've leveled off a little bit. Like the, the they've just found their sweet spot. All right, there's going to kind of be this eight to twelve sort of roster. Sure. Um, and so it'll be it, it will be interesting to see if Penn State can find another gear on the recruiting trail and talent acquisition. Absolutely. All right, you want to get into this thing? By the way, we do appreciate our listeners for getting us to 600 reviews. They they, they stormed in this morning. We might have a little uh, little cross review action with with late kick. We're at 614, got a lot of good questions, which we'll be getting to, you know, this episode and the next week. Uh, I, I say we get into this, man, Georgia-Bama. Like, this is this is why you recruit all that talent, right? This is why you lift all those weights. That This is we, – we don't get a whole lot of these matchups. You know, Ohio State, Penn State this year, but it's going to be week two. Clemson, Notre Dame, maybe. But, like, this seems like the premier matchup of the season. I mean, this is exciting, and, and there's a lot of interesting stuff to get into. I I feel like the you know, we have basically the, the the prize fight with Georgia's defense versus Bama's offense, and then we have kind of the undercard, which is equally as important in deciding the game, but nowhere near as sexy with Georgia's offense and Alabama's defense. Um, man, I where do you want to start with this? Don't put this on me. You right. you've done so. You've done uh, some good. Bud Elliott deep dive stuff here, and uh, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you take the lead here. I, I am coming off of so. If, if you listen, cover three pod. We talked Rusty Manzel and Travis Ryer, um, getting them to break down. So I've got some of their perspective in the back of my head here as you dig into it. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna comment as we go, but I want to I want to get the Bud Elliott big brain on this one. All right, I, I want to hear what they told you too because I, I actually listened to both both their pods, the Bama Online podcast, and then uh, the you know the Dogcast with, uh, with 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 Georgia this morning. So there are so many things that Bama's offense does well, and there are so many things that Georgia's defense does well. And I was looking for edges in this matchup, and every time that that I found something on my sheet that that lights up in green, I'm like, okay, wow. So so Bama's number one in the country at this. Certainly, they have an edge over Georgia. I'm like, oh, actually, no, weird, huh? Georgia is number one in the nation at preventing this. And it was just over and over and over. I mean, this is very rare, but this is the number one offense in college football by a good bit. And this is the number one defense in college football by a ton. I mean, the gap, if you look at SP plus defense, the gap between them and number two, which is actually Ohio State, which means it's all just projection still for Ohio State, is the same as the gap between two and 33. I mean, Georgia is way out ahead of everybody. Georgia so far, one of the things they've done is, is they've got opponents to passing downs extremely quickly. Like if you're playing Georgia, 
you're facing, you know, second and eight plus, you are facing third and five plus an overwhelming amount of the time. Bama has actually been, you know, pretty good at avoiding getting in, into those situations. The other thing is that Bama, it doesn't seem to bother them. Like they actually had some long down and distance situations early in the game against Texas A&M. They're like, ah, no problem. We'll just dial up some pass protection. Najah Harris, very good in pass protection as well as, as, as a back. We'll just bomb it to, all right, A&M's going to double coverage in the waddle and Devontae Smith, uh, John Mechie. How about like 275 yarders for that ass? So, I mean, that is going to be a, a key. I, I think that Georgia is better at preventing explosive plays than A&M, clearly, and better than you know, anybody that Bama has played or, or will play. Uh, but staying out of those long down and distances, I, I think, against Georgia, you know, will, will be pretty key because the, the whole you've got to be able to pressure Mac Jones. I, I don't think either team's going to be able to run the football effectively in this game. Georgia has a very traditional running attack. Nick Saban typically shuts that down. Georgia's, you know, Alabama's running attack has been okay this year against defenses, not named Ole Miss, but not, not special. Uh, you know, Ole Miss defense accepted, obviously. But here's some weird stuff, man. So Mac Jones, and you know, credit our friend Bill Connolly here for these numbers with, with his SP Plus system, he's really not been hit very much all year. Fourth in sack rate allowed is Alabama. Georgia's sack rate is actually really low. They're 43rd in the nation. But if you look at pressure rate allowed, Bama actually allows a, a decent amount of pressure, just for some reason not sacks. And Georgia is like top three in the country in pressure rate. So like Georgia gets there, but doesn't get the sack. And Bama allows some pressure there, but somehow doesn't allow the sack. So something's kind of got to give there. And then matchup-wise, I am very interested to see, when I talked to Rusty over the summer, and we were talking like, could this be Kirby Smart's best defense ever, including the ones at Bama? He's like, I think so. The only real, real two spots were... Do they have a good backup for Jordan Davis at nose? Questionable. And they don't really have a third corner they love if they have to, to match up against Jalen Waddle. And my thought was, well, guess what? Nobody else does either. <laughs> I mean, like if, if nobody has a third corner that, that can handle Waddle. So can Alabama find ways to get the ball to Jalen Waddle and, and exploit those matchups down the field? But man, everything Bama does well, Georgia does well. Preventing. Like there's this is really strength for strength. There's not like a, hey, they got to fix this because on this side of the ball, it's pretty much strength for strength all across the board. So I just think of Georgia's defensive front as being immovable. Um, and that's, you know, that, that's obviously something Bama's going to have to deal with. They're really good on the offensive line. They've got a really physical running back in Najee Harris. Uh, you know, it's, it, there, there's only so much give in that front seven for Georgia. Um, and I think that you you brought it to the right place there, at least in, I think, in Rusty's estimation. When we talked to Rusty this week, and the idea that, you know what, like Alabama's, they've got talent on the perimeter, and Georgia's got these future NFL cornerbacks on the perimeter and they're really good at getting the ball in these in the hands. Alabama is really good at getting the ball in the hands of their, their playmakers out there. Um, but when they are operating in the pass game in the middle of the field um, with some of those, not some of those, it's Jalen Waddle. It's Jalen Waddle. And so what, 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 how is Georgia going to adapt there defensively? Uh, I think is, is, is really important. And um, you know, Mac Jones clean because 
they've done us a good job of that. And he's done a fantastic job of operating the system and, and staying efficient and on time and on schedule. Um, but you know, what happens if he gets, you know, pounded a couple of times, you know, we've seen him throw some interceptions before. It's not like he is just totally unflappable and it's impossible to crack that nut. I mean, we've seen it last year in the limited snaps that we saw of Mac Jones. So it, it's, it, I, you know, I think George has got to get, create some havoc. Um, they've got to keep him off schedule from a, not, not even from a, a change down a distance standpoint, but just from a body clock, uh, mental clock standpoint um, and get him a little bit more uncomfortable than he's used to being. But I, I don't know if they can do that. I really don't because his line is it may be as good as anybody in the country. Yeah, there's no doubt. I, I think Georgia may have a better run blocking offensive line than Alabama, but I'm not certain of that. But I'm damn sure that 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 Bama's offensive line pass protection is you know is better than Georgia's. Like nobody nobody actually gets Mac Jones on the ground, and I understand they've played Ole Miss and and I mean, look, there's a reason Ole Miss is like a field goal favorite at Arkansas this weekend because their defense is every is worse than their offense is good, you know. But yeah, you've got I and it's not even necessarily sacking Mac Jones. But I, I think it's it's hitting him. It's rattling him. It's making him uncomfortable to where maybe he does throw you a pick or two. And I think you have to understand Bama's probably going to get some explosive plays against you. You know, do you dial up the blitz and risk those one-on-one situations down the field, or do you want to play in that too high shell? Because honestly, George has been sitting in a, in a lot of too high stuff and not allowing a, a ton of that. Now Tennessee did hit him for two of them, but Georgia also batted down. I think three or four of those those other deep shots that they took teams this year have not been blitzing Mac Jones hardly at all. And I think part of the reason for that, and it's a justifiable one is that they are scared of what Bama does down the field. Does Georgia trust its corners enough to handle Devonte Smith, to handle Waddle, to handle Mechie and give them those one-on-one opportunities down the field and bring extra men on the blitz. Devonte Smith might be my favorite player in college football. Uh, I, 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 love watching him run I love watched uh he's got a he's got a grace to his game that is is pretty unique as far as receivers I ever watched I just I just love watching the way he runs routes and operates from a body movement standpoint um and I think that if Georgia is going to have success defensively they're probably gonna have to just let let Tyson Campbell or Eric Stokes, whoever it is, just man up. Just you got him. Uh, let's see if you let's see a, let let's see what kind of what kind of player you are. Um, and Dante Smith is so understated because he's quiet he and he's so 170 quiet. pounds and he doesn't look like he's moving he that fast. Out. You know what I mean? Like, like like Waddle looks killer. like he's going fast. You know you know what I mean? Like like there's there's certain yeah. guys there's fast guys mm-hmm. who look like they're running fast. And then there's fast guys who look, they're just striding you. Like, and Devontae, it, it, he runs light, man. Like, like, like his, his feet are, I don't think his heels ever touch the ground. He's just, you know, he stops well. And, and it, it's Jalen's like violent, you know? Right. Right. Devontae Smith is just kind of casually coasting by you. And, you know, it, it's, I think we both agree if, if Georgia gets pressure with his front four, they have an excellent chance to win this ballgame. If they so, have to blitz, then it's it's roll the dice time. So take me to the other side. 
This is the side I think both these teams would prefer not to talk about. Probably. Honestly, this is in some ways the more interesting side. Yep. Don't you think? Just because who who's you know who who figures it out? Um and, and this is the matchup I feel less sure about who they are. I'm not confident Alabama defense. I'm certainly not confident that the great one. Um and I'm not confident that is a bad off. Um I'm I they they do some things really well. And Alabama is, is I mean, they're loaded from a standpoint. So I just this is just a little bit more of uh let's let's find out what you're about. It it really is. So you know, it's clearly the undercard. A, a couple things that are standing out to me here, wh- whereas basically everything was strength v. strength in, in the first part of our preview, here is weakness v. weakness, right? So Georgia has really struggled to, to, to create explosive plays this year, both in the run and pass game. However, Alabama uh, has given up a lot of explosive passes. Now, maybe not the 90-yard or the 80-yard shot, but they've given up you know, a good number of those 20 and 30 yard pass plays. Um, something's got to give, right? Either that's going to continue. And if that does, then Georgia has a good chance to win the football game. If Alabama can bottle Georgia up and you know, all of a sudden stop allowing so many explosive plays, then that's an advantage tied. But like, that's a weakness of both teams so far that something probably has to give there. I do think it's important that Georgia starts this game fast. I do not like the concept of Stetson Bennett playing from behind, and we know that Alabama's best safety, Jordan Battle, is going to be out for the first half of this game because he was ejected for targeting after playing 81 snaps against Ole Miss. So on his 82nd snap, he got the boot, so he's suspended for the first half as the carryover for the targeting suspension. Georgia needs, in my opinion, to take some shots down the field early in this game and honestly needs needs to connect on them. I'm not confident that Georgia's offense – can just play its game and score enough to beat Alabama, even though I do think they'll be able to limit Alabama's offense, you know, some. Uh, just because this is the kind of offense that Nick Saban typically wants to play. He doesn't want to play against, against what Ole Miss. When, when he designed this defense with Bell Belichick, like he was not designing it with, with you know, combating the, the Lane Kiffin-Kendall-Briles combo spread in mind, right? He he wants to play against, against two-back. He wants to be able to use his big guys on your big guys, and he wants to have his corners win on the outside. Georgia's got to take those shots, and, and they got to hit him. If not, I, I think it's it's pretty big advantage Bama. Additionally, like Bama's run defense is much better than its pass defense, like much better. That's going to play into Alabama's hands. They're going to put this game on Stetson Bennett and say, okay, beat us. We're not going to allow you to run the football on us, much like Bama did not allow Texas A&M. You know, to do so. So, I, a lot of this man comes down to Bennett being able to push the football down the field and Georgia's receivers, who I do like with, uh, you know, Karis Jackson, George Pickett, you know, winning, winning, or not pick, pickings, uh, you know, lose or winning those battles down the field, man. I mean, I don't think, I'm not sure if I'm, if you mentioned this, if you mentioned this, correct me, but um, it is, it's another sort of very complimentary, um, the situation here where this the issues that Alabama had defending the pass against Ole Miss were all middle of the field. Um, and Stetson, to this point, has pretty much just been operating in the middle of the field himself. Uh, and, and so I, I think, like, if George Pickens can go win some of those one-on-ones against Pat Sertan and, and Josh Job, that's a huge 
difference maker, but I, I, I think that like Georgia has to sort of um, push on the pressure point there uh, in terms of their, getting their tight ends involved, getting the middle to work the middle of the field. I mean, Alabama, all we saw, like they know where their issues are too. So they'll address those and they'll, they may try to sort of funnel everything to the perimeter that's in Bennett and, and, and we'll see if he's got the arm to do that. But I, I, I know it's in the past game, like I just, I'm very anxious to see whether those safeties are any better and he, you know, the best one's gone for the first half at least. Right. And so, um, you know, I think that's going to be a big part of this is just can, you know, can Georgia control the game? Can Georgia's game, like who's, who's dictating the game plan? Who's doing what they want to do on that side of the ball? Um, Because I I think, I think whoever is is able to dictate the game plan, because on the other side, both are, both are operating at such a high level that it's just almost like, you know, too at it, like who knows who's going to come out. I think on the other side, it's, it's, it's two flawed teams that are, one's going to have, one's going to win at dictating that game plan. And so, um, you know, that, that, that to me is going to be critical. I I agree with you. I also don't, I, I do not think for a second that, well, two points, number one, to follow up what you said about, Bama's defense being vulnerable in the middle of the field. Absolutely. I mean, that's where they got torched by Ole Miss. Uh, Texas A&M hit them some over the middle of the field. Although, I, I'm a little bit questionable as to how vulnerable Alabama is over the middle of the field uh, from, from this perspective. A, it is different defending the middle of the field when you are so spread out like like Ole Miss makes you, right? You're, you're playing a lot of 11. You know, you're, you're playing some empty when, when you play Ole Miss. And it's it's that quick game stuff. When you played Texas A&M, honestly, like you very much denied them the middle of the field up until that game was mostly put away and you went and you played more two-shell stuff and said, okay, hit us over the middle of the field, but you're not going to hit us over the middle of the field deep. You know, it's going to be some of the shorter 10 to 20-yard stuff. We're not going to give you the 30 and 40-yard chunks. Georgia does not do any of the things well that Ole Miss does well as far as the quick passing game, that the using space concepts like that, or at least if they do, they really haven't shown it as much. They've been they've threatened the middle of the field in a different way. I think that the, one of the keys here is going to be Georgia throwing the football on early downs, staying ahead of the chains against Alabama. You know, get getting those five eight yard completions here to stay ahead of those chains. I, if Georgia tries to go run run pass, it's good night. I I, I really think. Um, so that, that's something that I'm, I'm going to be monitoring, you know, quite a bit here. The other thing I, I, I will say is, when Georgia gets in Alabama territory, it has to score. This is one of the weaknesses that I've identified with with Georgia and Bama's defense in the red zone is actually not that bad. Georgia, you know, in the red zone is is pretty sketch. So I think that there's two key players on Georgia's offense. Um, we talked about George Pickens and he's got to win some of those outside matchups. It's like you always do against Alabama. Like it's just, you always have to have someone that can, can go up and, and catch a 50, 50 ball and, uh, and beat a five-star. Um, but I, I think, and Travis Ryer mentioned, I think it was Travis Ryer to me who mentioned Kenny McIntosh, the running back for Georgia as a, maybe a little bit more of a pass game back um, has some, has the ability to create some matchup problems 
at the at the linebacker position. But also, I think Jermaine Burton is a player that just used him a little bit like this as a guy that can create some some width, um, create some horizontal issues for for defenses. I think that Jermaine Burton, the true freshman who runs like a four four, legit. Is, is someone that needs to have a big game in this sort of matchup because of some of those things you talked about, because of the way, like the only way to really stress the middle of the field is if you spread Alabama or any defense out. And I think that Jermaine Burton is one of those guys that that can spread out the defense a little bit, can create some issues on the outside, like create some windows in the middle because of the way you have to account for him on, on the, the edges. And so... Um, I'll be interested. Look, Todd Monken's been fine so far. This is his, this is his, his, you know, this is the, the midterm exam right here. You know, you got to come up with some wrinkles. You got to come up with some ways to, um, to, to use the full width of the fields. Um, so that, you know, so that everything's available to you. Dude, Kenny McIntosh, now that you bring that up, uh, I, I actually got some really good traffic out of some viral catches he made for South Florida Express and seven on back when I was still with SB Nation back when they did recruiting. Uh, like he was a very good player for South Florida Express. I mean, they had a lot of targets, so he was getting a lot of one-on-ones. But as a running back, uh, that year we had two guys who really stood out to me in the state of Florida as good pass catchers. One was Kenny McIntosh, really good. Like he's he's got legitimate hands that he can really catch. You're right. The other one was Marcus Crowley, who is now on Ohio State. And like he was literally the best pass catcher on the Jacksonville team uh, pro impact that year. So yeah, I, I like that matchup actually quite a bit. Ironically, one of the you know a, a, a running back that could be a just a straight up wide receiver if you really committed to it and wanted to be is James Cook. Yeah, who's also on that Georgia roster, um, but for whatever reason he's had a hard time getting you know getting getting to getting rolling in that offense. But you know, hey, they've got off they've got weapons. Both these teams have weapons. They have players on both sides. That's what's going to make this game so fun. They they most definitely do. I I went ahead and played the over over 57 and a half in this. I, I just think that there's too much speed on the field. Uh, and, you know, when you have this much speed on the field, the chance that one of your turnovers, you know, it ends up becoming a touchdown increases. For me, Georgia's got to start fast. If if this game's close, when, when Bama gets battle back in the secondary, I I like Bama's chances. Uh, I, I think So you you sound like you're leaning Bama. Yeah, I, I, I think Alabama will win because I, I just – Stetson Bennett has opened my eyes. He has impressed me more than I thought he would. But I I do trust Alabama's ability to put up points. Like, I trust Bama's defense more than I trust Georgia's offense. And I have equal trust, basically, in Bama's offense and Georgia's defense. Do you feel like there's a – do you feel like we're, we're giving Stetson Bennett the benefit of the doubt? Like, we, everyone just sort of expected him to be terrible, and he's not. He's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but this is – this is a different. This is a different deal. There's a whole different ball of wax when you're playing on this stage in this game. And and Mac Jones has been there, and he's you know I think he's a little bit more battle tested at this point. Not not that much more, but more. And he is you know he actually has some I think a little bit more ability as well. So I think Stetson Bennett is um, like I, when you as as you're talking and you're like yeah I think I'm picking Alabama. Like the way in my head that that goes down is just Stetson Bennett is just asked to do like like three percent more than he's capable of, um, 
and and I, I'm you know maybe he proves me wrong, but that that's that's kind of if Alabama wins that that feels like the way it goes down. The other note I have just empty in the notebook here: Georgia's pass protection relative to the teams they've played has actually not been that great. Um, so I don't know if, how much of that is on the offensive line, how much of that is on the backs, how much of that is on the quarterback learning a new system. But this could be a really big game for for a Will Anderson or or Barmore or whomever up front can get pressure for Alabama because like Georgia's offensive line pass protection wise is not like a sure thing like like Bama seems to be. So I feel like we should get to we should get to some of the other games on the slate here. Let's do it. All right, guys, we've got a quick quick little ad break here. After after that, we're going to go no huddle. We're going to hit the one big recruiting thing, and we're going to open up the mailbag in this jam-packed episode of Barton and Bud. All right, dude, let's go no huddle. Uh, all right, we're already getting, we're already picking up the pace. Okay, so let's go to Miami Pitt. It's a game that I'm ex- – Miami fans probably hate me for sort of bringing this point up, but this was one of my points of, of skepticism about Miami prior to the season was the idea that this is a – this is a season with a bunch of sleepy stadiums. This is a, you know, you, you got to generate your own energy. You got to generate your own enthusiasm for these games. And Miami has shown itself to be a little bit erratic in terms of its, uh, you know, how, how, how emotionally invested it is week to week. And one of the issues there has been the letdown spot. And Miami, I, I know it just got beat, but so like 2016, they lost a close one to Florida top 25 Florida state team. And then the following week, they lost to UNC 2017. They beat Notre Dame and UVA in back-to-back weeks were ranked like second in the country. And then they lost to Pitt the following week, 2018, they beat Florida state uh, on a, you know, like a nighttime game. And then the next week they lost to Virginia 2019. They had, they beat Virginia uh, like at night, huge game. Next week they lost to uh, Georgia tech. Uh, later in the season, they beat Louisville, a team that was was surging. Um, big game, kind of a turnaround moment, and then they lost to FIU the next week. Like, this just happens every year. I don't know if this is the week it happens, but it does feel like this is – Pitt's just that team that just kind of – if you sleep on that Pitt team, like they just – it's the team that claps you in. So that's the that's point one I have with this game that it sort of has my antenna up a little bit. The other one is, and, and then I'll let you get your thoughts in, but like the other one is is very similar to this Alabama-Georgia matchup, which is sort of the complementary traits of these two teams. Um, so Miami's offense, 66th in the country in success rate and fifth in the country in marginal explosiveness. Now, these numbers are probably a little bit skewed because – Clemson just locked them down, but they, you know, like they're, they can generate big plays, but the, the consistency drive to drive is not necessarily there yet with this offense, but the sort of the reverse is true for Pitt's defense. Like Pitt's defense is 11th in the country in a success rate allowed. And they're 73rd in the country in marginal explosiveness allowed. And a lot of it is just there's their defensive line is so good. And Pat Narduzzi has such a, uh, a aggressive defensive system and that it, it does sort of create some opportunities for an offense that's, that can exploit it. But 
they've given up a lot of big plays, even if down to down, you, they're, they're going to beat you up. So like, just like the Bama Georgia game, I don't know who's who sort of that benefits. I don't know if it, I don't know if it benefits points. I don't know if it benefits an under, but it, it's a really interesting element to this game and something that sort of ha- is, is, has me interested in seeing sort of what happens. So I, I actually went ahead and bet Pitt and bet the over in this game. I mean, to me, this game is a very important game for Miami. It, it's, Honestly, I think it, you can argue it's more important than the Clemson game because I don't think either of us really thought they were they had a real shot to beat Clemson. Just you know, could they keep it sure. close-ish? If Miami wins this game, they have a really good shot to go eight and three or better, right? They have an outside shot to make it back to the AC title game to, to you know probably rematch Clemson. If they lose this game, they could easily go seven and four or six and five. Now the under has since dropped, and I think that's because Brevin Jordan is. You know, kind of questionable. There's an offensive lineman or two for Miami who are banged up. Kenny Pickett, the, the quarterback for Pitt, is also banged up. You're right, though. Like this is Pitt wants to take away your short gains and make things tough. They they deny the easy throw consistently, and they they do the trade off as they allow the explosive play. Really interestingly, here Miami is explosive on standard downs when the threat of play action is there. They are not explosive on third and long or second and eight plus they're second in the nation standard down explosiveness. They're 33 in the country in passing down explosiveness, according to Bill Connolly's numbers. They're number one in the nation in rushing explosiveness, right? Only 39th in passing explosiveness. So, so this all tracks. Basically what I'm seeing here is Miami wants to push tempo. Pitt normally wants to push tempo a little bit. Pitt can't run the ball worth a damn. Miami's down-to-down rushing success is horrendous. They're 68th, but they actually do pop big runs occasionally. Like, I see big plays and three and outs in this game, which normally helps. How many long, sustained drives do you think we're going to have here? Probably not a whole lot. I like Pitt's defensive front quite a bit against Miami, but this is a game Miami needs to come out and win. They were actually 1-4 last year straight up as a double-digit favorite, not against the spread. They lost four out of five games last year when they were favored by, by 10 plus. That's that's something that, ha- that has to change. This is the type of game that if Miami wants to get where it wants to go, they have to win. And honestly, I I, I mean, if you have more on this, let, let, let's hit it. But it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Tennessee-Kentucky game in the same thing. If Tennessee wants to get where it wants to go, it needs to beat a team like Kentucky, which is fine, but they're not exceeding expectations, certainly. You know, if Tennessee drops this game, they could easily go five and five this year. Yeah. In fact, like one of the things that is, and, and to, to relate it back to the George Alabama game a little bit, like George's deep, we shouldn't have been surprised that George's defense, and we weren't surprised that George's defense dominated Tennessee because Georgia is built to beat Tennessee. Like Georgia is built to dominate Tennessee. Um, I think one of the things that's interesting about this matchup for me is, I think that Tennessee similarly is built sort of striving to be what Georgia is. And I think that both those teams up with what Kentucky tries to be as well. Like I think Kentucky, at least the way that team is going to try to beat you, the strengths it has on offense. um, That's a team that's like similar, like in similar tiers and sort of the sec pecking order. Tennessee wasn't ready for that fight against Georgia, but I, I tend to think Tennessee is is much better equipped from a personnel standpoint to get in this fight with with Kentucky. 
And so I think that this is a much better barometer is in terms of their program development. If Tennessee loses this game, it's not because Kentucky had some fancy scheme and they they outcoached them, whatever it is. Maybe they do, but it's really about you know two teams with similar styles, similar expectations of how to go about winning this game, and one team was just just better. Like I got Tennessee needs to be better than Kentucky. Tennessee needs to have better players than Kentucky at this point in the process. I'm not saying they do. I'm saying if I'm saying Jeremy Pruitt needs to be at that point at this stage. And so, you know, where he is on that yardstick, I think is 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 going to be really telling after this game because I don't think we really know after the Georgia game. I agree with you there. Um, look, ten. Tennessee, though, is going to have to throw the ball to win this game. Kentucky's run defense is very good. Kentucky runs the football very well. And, look, Tennessee, I agree, is kind of built to stop the run. Uh, and we'll, we'll see. Like, this is a dangerous spot. You you have a huge letdown spot coming off the Georgia loss. Uh, and then you have a big-time look-ahead spot because Alabama comes to town next week. So, like, can, can Jeremy Pruitt get Tennessee up to play this game? They should win. I don't know, man. Like I, I took the six and a half. I'm, I'm, I'm not super convinced that Tennessee's going to be up for this. Maybe, maybe they'll prove me wrong. Kentucky doesn't suck. They're just, I don't think they're like, you know, quite as good as I expected them to be this year. Uh, any AAC thoughts? We have a little bit of uh, AAC action this weekend. SMU Tulane, UCF Memphis, Cincinnati Tulsa. Anything stand out there to you? I mean, I, it stands out that UCF Memphis is getting like almost zero hype this weekend, and yet those teams are still really good. Um, I, that, but honestly, I think the game I'm most interested in is is um, probably Cincinnati Tulsa, um, just to see if Cincinnati's legit. My my my, and I think Tulsa is a good team. I think you can. I, can, I think Cincinnati could probably beat Tulsa, and still we're, we're we could still have questions on whether or not they're legit. Um, but this Tulsa defense is pretty good. Um, and, and their offense is, is at the quarterback position is, is certainly capable of generating some big plays. So I just think that this will be a good, um, you know, kind of a, another good measuring stick in the AAC. I, I would agree with you. Like for me, Cincinnati needs to prove it can score points, right? Like that's my main concern with Cincinnati's team over the last couple of years is their offense just isn't any good. Like it, it's re- like routinely they are in too many close games late. Their defense is always really, really good. But for whatever reason, whether it's quarterback play, whether it's scheme, whatever it is, they, they don't create explosive plays. They're inconsistent. They, they don't, they don't really play pitch and catch very well, you know, and it just seems like everything is, is more difficult for that offense than it should be. If, if Cincinnati wants to seriously, you know, be able to make some noise in December, they, they won't get in. But if they want to be able to make some noise about a playoff spot, like this is the, the type of of game they need to go and win comfortably. I think I think Tulsa's corners are are very good, by the way. Like they they gave UCF fits and Oklahoma State for a while as well. All right, you want to get into the anxiety bowls? I do. Quick, I do. I, I think these are like, man. I don't know if, if you lose these games as an underdog, if your fan bases are are going to be up in arms. But tell me the fan base here of these games, all of which have a spread under a touchdown this weekend in the SEC, whose fan bases will not go nuclear if they lose this. 
Auburn at South Carolina, Old Miss at Arkansas, Texas A&M at Mississippi State. I guarantee so the, you all three of these fan bases are fully expecting to win the, these these short road favorite games. It's like I think you could make a case Auburn's like of in two of those three games, it's not just the favorite that that needs to win. It's like the underdog has has a, a, a very anxious fan base too. I think the old Miss Arkansas game, I think both those teams are playing with house money right now. I think both those programs are just happy to be competing, happy to be competitive. Uh, feeling great about the future. Uh, probably both acknowledge the other one is having a good year so far and is showing some really positive things. So I think that one is the house money bowl. I think that Auburn, if Auburn loses Carolina, yeah, like there's going to be some pissed off folks down there. If South Carolina just loses to Auburn, I think that they're going to continue to be like really frustrated with the Muschamp regime. A&M after finally getting the top five monkey off its back is, you know, they can't lose to Mississippi state and Mississippi state after, you know, starting the year with, with the kind of LSU upset that it did. I just don't think that they're going to be too pleased with an eight with losing to an AM team either. I think that they feel like they got to get this going. So I agree. Like that is, that's what makes the sec so fun is because their fans are, 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 are maniacs and these games are going to be um, like, I, like who, who's, who, who do you think is honestly between Auburn and South Carolina in particular, like who what, what was your, like, were you saying that Auburn, if he loses that Gus Malzahn is on the hot seat? Cause I, I, I think also like, is, is, no is that a hotter seat, seat than Muschamp? No, 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 certainly not. I mean, Malzahn has won a lot more. He's beaten Bama much more than I think they probably even should have expect, expected to do. The recruiting is decent, not you know amazing. I, I don't think there's any hot seat for for Gus Malzahn at, at all. But like their fans are going to be pissed because in their minds they, they probably should have lost that Arkansas game, right? And I don't I don't disagree. And you, you go and you lose the South Carolina team, whose you know only win so far is against Vandy. Uh, that's that. I mean that and you're two and two, and and then you're you know you got Ole Miss coming up. LSU, who right now I think you'd probably beat, but you know who knows. And like the the back half of that of that Auburn schedule is not easy. Tennessee, Bama, Texas A and M to finish, so they they need to get some wins now. None of these schedules are easy, no. man. It's 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 wild. The there the South Carolina for an upset is is a tr- is trendy in the Torvin Slack room right now. There's a couple. It's kind of heating up. So we'll see if uh, we'll see if. Folks are right. I, on that I can one. see it now. I will say the one game that I think could be an upset is this A and M Mississippi State game. I I don't think Leach's offense is going to look this bad for for three weeks in a row. A and M secondary has struggled a little bit this year. I will say the Mississippi State defense so. is, and you were all over this. They're sneaky good, man. Like that that defense is is not that bad. They really stop the run well. Now their pass defense, eh, not not amazing, but okay. They do stop the run well. A and M just lost another receiver for the year, so their their personnel limited at that spot. I mean, I could see this being kind of a low scoring, you know, slog fest, and and uh, it's it's kind of a hangover spot for for both these teams coming off a loss. I'm I mean, hell. I don't know what to make of Mississippi State 
any week. I mean, I guess we kind of know what they are right now, which is a team that's not very good on offense if you're running zone against them. But uh, I still feel like that they're they're just like a kind of a snake that's ready to just sort of rear up and bite somebody as soon as they think they got them figured out. So, yes, I think the defense there is like the big X factor is they can they can stop you on the other side of the ball. All right, we have about 15 minutes left in the show. Let's go to one big recruiting thing. You want to talk Marius Mims? You want to talk NLI issues? What where, where do you want to go with this? I mean, he's he's announcing in about I don't know one hour from the time of this recording. Well, I think the um, like Marius Mims. This is a big commitment. Um, as you might have, he may have already committed by the time you listen to this. Probably will have. Um, he's committing on to CBS. The expectation, as we sit here right now, so commit to Georgia. I think the reason that that is really relevant is because Georgia just got done absolutely crushing it on recruiting trail on the offensive line, but it it did it did all that crushing under Sam Pittman as their offensive line. I think it's not unreasonable to ask, okay, well, where does Georgia go from here? Sam Pittman is now the head coach at Georgia. They're recruiting pretty well on the line. Uh, Matt Luke has, has won his fair share in a short period of time, but it's still a little bit like uh, just sort of cleaning up and, and, and tying up the loose ends that Sam Pittman left behind. So if Amarius Mims, a five-star freakazoid of an offensive tackle, picks Georgia as expected, I think that that is a really strong indicator of Matt Luke's capabilities and of Georgia's ability to continue to be, I don't know, the, um, the physical tone setter, at least on the offensive side of the ball in the SEC, based on just the mass and the talent that they're accumulating on the offensive line. So it just sort of keeps the streak alive. And, and I think that that's, I think that's important. And, and look, I mean, Alabama's stars too, but, uh, but I think Georgia has made the offensive line the centerpiece of its offense in a way that no one else in the SEC has. And, and this would enable them to kind of continue mentality. You know, Georgia has made it sexy to come play offensive line, right? It, it, it's like a celeb position there in, in Athens. Um, Amarius Mims just looks different. I, I also, in thinking about this, is this the first like super long tackle that Georgia has signed since Andrew Thomas. I mean, somebody's got to be slipping my mind here. I, I guess Xavier Truss is, is plenty long, but he was, I feel like he was like thicker build than, than Marius Mims is. Marius Mims kind of has that Andrew Thomas, you know, much like, like almost basketball looking build to him. And, and he, he's a dude you could see just being an absolute, well, I guess Broderick Jones too. I'm, I'm just wrong on that. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think he, yeah, like, but I, frankly, he's probably one of the, better offensive line body types yeah. that that we've seen um they they don't they don't come looking like this guy in, in every class like so i would say he's a he's a fairly he, he this is a once every you know several cycles sort of body type i'm not saying he's a once in several cycles player it's it's more of an upside play with him than anything else um, but the upside is as about as high as it can, can get. Credit to Tennessee too for for uh, assuming that he does pick Georgia. Like credit to Tennessee for giving Georgia like a serious run at this, you know. And and Tennessee was very much in it. That's a very good recruiting staff that Jeremy Pruitt and Co have. And I don't think that Georgia's win over Tennessee, you know, made Amarius Mims pick Georgia if indeed he does. And and hell, maybe maybe 
who knows? By the time you listen to this, maybe Tennessee will have pulled off a, a bit of a miracle here. I'm not expecting that. Uh, but they, they also did a very good job with this recruitment. So like, if, if you're one of these folks who doesn't follow recruiting hardcore on a day-to-day basis, this has been Barton and Bud's one big recruiting thing. Like This is the, the big thing for the week. I, I don't think we're going to have bigger recruiting news come out than this. Like Mims is a real difference maker you know, at the top of the thing, and Georgia keeping him home, beating out rivals in Tennessee and Alabama is, is a big deal. Are we going to get the mailbag? Let's go five-star mailbag, man. Yeah, so uh, we've had a lot of Florida fans in our, in our mailbag, and they asked some questions, and I feel like we should throw them a bone because it just got announced that the Florida-LSU game is canceled because Florida says they have less than 50 scholarship players uh, to be able to play the game. So that, that's official? That's official, yeah. That. Scott Strickland's All giving right. comments on it like live on Twitter, basically saying they're, they're going to review their travel pro- protocols, et cetera, et cetera, to figure out like you know maybe traveling is causing some of this stuff because you, you're more close contact. Mm-hmm. Sounds like they may not play for a couple weeks. Yeah, they said they're going to uh, be in contact with Missouri, who is their game, I believe, next week. And at this point, I think it's very clear that we're going to have some teams who are not going to play all their games this year. Like, there's just not enough weeks in the calendar to make up stuff if, if something snowballs, if you have multiple delays. Um, but I have to imagine Florida games are games that are going to have to be made up because they do impact the division, whereas, say, Missouri-Vanderbilt, not so much. Um so we have two questions from Gator fans here, um, one from Clint and one from Mailman. And we kind of answered the Mailman one, but I think it's more relevant now. So we're, we're going to go ahead and get into this. And I think we can use it as, as kind of a jumping off point to discuss some hot button issues there in Gainesville. So Clint writes, and I'm just going to read these questions because Barton's internet is a little bit sketch. Yeah, I was going to say, dig, dig in. Yeah. Uh, so Clint writes and gave us a five-star review. Very much appreciate it. He says, so I asked the same question last year on the Cover 3 podcast after the Georgia game. Is it finally time to replace Todd Grantham at Florida? The defense was an issue last year, and it's even worse this year. I'd want Dan Quinn or linebacker Christian Robinson to replace him. Curious as to what you'd do with Grantham and a possible replacement if you decided to replace him. So I'm going to read the second question as well, uh, just because I feel like they're, they're kind of intertwined. Uh, Mailman2417 writes, but I'm paraphrasing here a bit, but on your previous podcast, PAPN, which, you know, RIP PAPN, uh, back in the winter, you mentioned that Florida's 2018 to 2019 recruiting rankings were a bit inflated due to a number of signees who either didn't qualify academically or transfer without ever playing, like, you know, Chris Steele. Talking about how it relates to Georgia Florida rivalry for 2020 and 2021 and why this gives UGA the edge in, in the depth department when, when those teams play. Do you still agree with the sentiment for 2020 season and with experience returning for Florida at important positions this year and UGA having a lot of turnover on offense? So we actually answered this question previously, but I want to highlight this. And it's, in my opinion, I don't think Florida's defense was a problem last year. In fact, Florida's defense in basically all of the, the metrics that take into account opponent quality actually rated higher than Florida's offense, as hard as it might be to believe. Last year, SP Plus, Florida's defense seventh, Florida's offense eleventh. Like, Todd Grantham has coordinated a pretty damn good defense there in Florida. Now they have had some disappointing moments against some some better teams, but the reason you lost to Georgia isn't because the Florida defense is because Dan Mullen can't score on Georgia, pretty much regardless of the year or or situation. But there is an important thing, and I don't think that replacing him with Dan Quinn or Christian Robinson in the middle of the year makes a lot of sense. But I do want to point this out. I've watched a good bit of Florida this year. I have a lot of neighbors who are Florida fans and, you know, they, they pick up my brain on it. And I've spoke with Thomas Goldcamp. He does a great job on the Swamp 24-7 podcast. And Florida is having to play several guys out of position right now. 
and they're performing admirably in doing so. But so they don't have Kyrie Campbell available right now. He's a 300 pound guy who can stop the run. They're having to play Carter at the D tackle spot, which means he's not playing his strong side defensive end spot, which means they're having to play Brenton Cox, who's having a heck of a year. He's having to play the strong side end spot, which also means you're having to play Jeremiah Moon more at the weak side defensive end spot. Ideally, those guys, they're all playing a position that size-wise, they're not particularly well-suited to play. And the reason that you're having to do so pretty much is because Florida only signed one defensive tackle in the 2018 and 2019 recruiting classes combined. That is like, that's a, that's a recruiting problem. And yeah, like this is not totally related to the signing guys. You never qualify because this kid qualified. It wasn't, it wasn't that they signed, you know, strong side defensive end Malik Langham, who, who's you know since I believe transferred out of the program, but they're thin at defensive tackle in large part because a Campbell's not around to play right now for whatever reason he's out. Uh, and B, because they only signed one guy at D-tackle over a span of two classes. So when you have a guy like Campbell go down, you don't have the depth there to be able to do that. Additionally, you know, you have – they missed Brad Stewart for a time, and I don't think that the guys they have playing at that weak side backer spot are necessarily all that great at taking on blocks, and that would be Amari Bernie and, and Diabate. So if I said it right, Diabate? I, I've watched a lot of Georgia. I haven't heard – or Florida. I haven't really heard his name pronounced that much. It's Diabate? I mean, I think so. Mahmoud Diabate. <laughs> That's how I would have said it. Um, so they're, they've got a lot of guys playing kind of out of position there right now, and they have been taken advantage of due to that. I think if they get Kyrie Campbell back, and I'm not saying he's a superstar, but it just allows them to have the depth to play the guys at the more natural positions that they can make big-time impacts because Carter's having a good year. I think he could have an even better year if he was playing in his rifle spot. Britton Cox playing that more buck role absolutely could have a much better year. And – you hire Todd Grantham, you know what you're getting, right? You're going to blitz from, you know, you're, you're, you're playing in Texas A&M, you're going to blitz from Dallas. Like, that, that's what you're going to do. And honestly, with how good Florida's offense is, I don't have a problem with the high-variance approach of a lot of blitzing. Like, you get a couple turnovers, you give up a couple explosive plays. The worst thing is is, is what's happening right now to them, and that, that's offenses are able to play keep away, like Texas A&M did. I, I'm surprised at all the Todd Grantham needs to be fired stuff. And, and I, I mean, the, the, the other question was who, like, who would you hire or what it was like, like we should hire Dan Quinn and Christian Robinson or whatever. It's like, I mean, Todd Grantham isn't perfect, but you gotta, you gotta consider the gamble of, of what your alternative would be. I guess Dan Quinn. Yeah. Okay. I guess he'd be a good coach for Florida, but I mean, are you going to get Dan Quinn? If you're not, like who, like is Christian Robinson, like how, how do we know he's better than Todd Grantham? I, there's no way to, like there's no way to know that. And so I think you got a pretty good bird in the hand right now with Todd Grantham. I think he's a guy, he's a value add over most coordinators in college football. Um, are there some better? Yeah, I'd take a couple over him, but I think he's, I, I think he can put together a really good defense. And the other thing is like, I don't think that Todd Grantham is running a scheme uh, that Dan Mullen does not approve of, right? Like, can you imagine the head coach saying, like, hey, you're not going to run this scheme? Absolutely not. Todd Grantham's like, screw it. We're, we're blitzing anyway. Like, I, I'm pretty sure Dan Mullen's on, on the same page. They probably are both aware of some of the personnel concerns. 
that 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 they have, and it just so happens that they had a, an absence in Campbell at a spot where they don't have good depth, you know, and that's that's largely what, what's hurting it. I think if they get Campbell back, they can get back to stopping the run. They'll still allow probably too many explosive passing plays, but at least you know that maybe they'll get a pick or two more. You're getting the ball back to your explosive offense, and and you'll have to win games more in that kind of you know forty to thirty type range. Uh, but you're getting stops, you're getting some three and outs. But I I don't know. I just thought maybe we'll throw UF fans a bone here since we do they, they do support the show pretty well. They, it asks some good questions here, and I, I think that the the issues are intertwined. And I'm not sure Dan Quinn is going to go take the Florida coordinator job midseason. No. Uh, all right, we probably should get out of here before my internet crashes again shout out to tawny for the edit on this one man that's yeah for real good luck good luck tawny are you uh are you just gonna take the uh what are you gonna take like the midday window off because i feel like we have a we have a lot like a good noon slate and then 3 30 man we get, we, we get some of those anxiety bowls we get some aac but like florida lsu being canceled if you need to run some errands or if you need to go take some pumpkin patch photos this weekend uh, that that's your that's your window. <laughs> We're already on round three of pumpkin patch. You guys have already done. Oh man, we, we're in there. I, my, my wife's out of town we're, this week, but I, I know it's coming this this weekend. We're gonna have to go. We're ahead of the game on that. Anxiety bowls. Anxiety bowls are better than. I'll take that over the Super Bowl. Give me anxiety. Anxiety is in football is the best. No doubt. I'll dial. I'll dial in there. Hey guys, five stars on iTunes. Let, let's let's catch Josh Pate. We're we're certainly ahead of him as far as five star ratings per show. We hit a hundred shows. We're still at 38 shows, so you know, on, on a per show basis, we're we're definitely ahead of that late kick uh, crowd. But give paid a five star, give us a five star. We How about the narrative. It. Yeah, yeah. He just runs super up tempo, right? We're we're just we're we're right. we're not running right 100. Shows. We're Jimbo. Exactly. <laughs> ball ball control podcast. Exactly.